Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Today, millions across the world are celebrating Easter and especially something called Good Friday. It's pretty amazing that so many people are focused on the one man, the person of that one man, Jesus Christ. And here's a good question as we kick off the word today. What does it mean, Good Friday? Such a bad thing happened. Jesus was brutally crucified. He was beaten and whipped and then nailed to a cross and shed his blood in public humiliation. How could it possibly be good? Well, he did something good because the world had gone bad. If we go right back to the book of Genesis, and we read in chapter 1 and verse 31, it says that when God created the world, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. What a statement. When God completed the original creation, he looked at it and he thought it was incredible. It was good. But everything since then very clearly has gone bad. The world is deteriorating. Every time we look at the conditions around us of actually the creation, the physical creation, and the way people are behaving, you can see things are deteriorating. The second law of thermodynamics is in place. Everything left to itself tends to go down. If we look at all the difficulties that we're facing across the world and we look back across human history, we'll see that the world is really on a downhill slide. There's decay, there's disorder, there's chaos, there's disintegration, and ultimately there is death. And the world is breaking down. Even at the moment, we're experiencing a pandemic. There's sickness, there's disease, there are natural disasters. There's chaos, rebellion, hostility, greed, and violence. Man did not start at the bottom and evolve to something morally higher. He's actually started at the top and he's on his way down. And the world is in a place of degeneration. That's why Jesus had to come to fix all that. And sin really is abounding in the world. That's why Christ had to come into the world to deal with sin because behavior doesn't deal with sin. If it was all good when God looked at it in the beginning, then why has it gone all bad? Well, here's the simple answer, and this is the only place you'll find the answer. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, it says Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God, and sin entered the world, and sin spread to everything, to the creation, to people, and we see the decay around us. And as a result here, it says in Romans chapter 5, Paul summarizing this event, he says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, notice that, through one man. It says, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So we here discover that it was once good, became bad because of man's sin, and now Jesus had to come and fix it. I want to speak to you today about the importance of this one man, Jesus Christ, because we know about the one man, Adam, who brought all the trouble on us. But we want to have a look today on Good Friday as to why it is Good Friday. And I've entitled the message, The Power of One Man's Blood. It took just one man, the God-man, to save us from decay, sin, disease, and destruction. 
and to change everything when he came into the world. Dr. Billy Graham famously once said, God never meant that people were to wear clothes. He meant that we were to be nude, but we were in a state of innocence. Then he says this, then sin came into the human race and became a blood poisoning. We've been poisoned since Adam, and all of us have sin flowing in our veins. Now, before we can look at the blood of this one man, we need to look at why blood was needed, because sin is a huge problem, and sin cannot be taken away by redefining it. Sin cannot be removed by religious rituals. Sin can only be taken away by one man's blood. But you know what we've done in our world today? We've declared there's no such thing as sin. We've redefined sin. We've declared it to be a social thing. We've declared it to be a lifestyle choice. And the world is hell-bent on redefining sin so that if you can redefine it, well, then it's not going to be a problem. It's not going to make you feel guilty. But sin is a big issue in our world. And uh, in the news this week, we just heard about the gender violence in our country. And you can't fix it politically. You can't fix it by campaigns. It has to be changed by dealing with what's called sin in the human heart, which is what Jesus came to deal with on Good Friday. Dr. Billy Graham, again, in speaking about sin, said this. He said, self-centered indulgence, pride and lack of shame over sin are now emblems of the American lifestyle. In other words, we've taken sin and we've turned it into a lifestyle. And now for us, there's no such thing as sin. And that's why people are always asking, well, what's wrong with well, the Bible defines sin as something very, very destructive. But this is what we've done. We've tried to make sin legal, almost implying that it's okay. But I read this powerful truth. Making sin legal does not make it harmless. You see, if you make crack cocaine legal and you say it's okay to buy, it's okay to buy marijuana, doesn't make it less harmless. Poison can be put in a bottle and you can change the label. Actually, it makes it more dangerous. And we've tried to do away with sin. The great psychologist, Dr. Carl Menninger, in his book called Whatever Became of Sin, says the following, and I want to read it today as we focus on the problem that Jesus came to solve. In all the laments and reproaches made by our seers and prophets, one misses any mention of sin, a word which used to be a veritable watchword of prophets. He goes on to say it was a word once in everybody's mind, now really, if ever heard. Does that mean that no sin is involved in all our troubles? Is no one any longer guilty of anything? He then says, guilty perhaps of a sin that could be repented and repaired and atoned for? No. It is only that someone may be stupid or sick or criminal or recovering or even asleep. Wrong things are being done, we know, he says. Anxiety and depression, we all acknowledge. And even vague guilt feelings. But no one has committed any sins. Then he says this, where indeed did sin go? What became of it? Well, you can't redefine it and then just assume it's gone. Sin is the biggest problem in our world. And that's why Jesus came. In fact, if we were to be truthful today, everyone is a sinner. We have sin in us because we got it from Adam. We don't just do sin, we are sinners. And uh, the only person who ever lived without sin was Jesus Christ. That's why he could pay for sin by shedding his blood. It was that one man's blood that could change our bloodline, if you like, because he was the God-man. He was born of a virgin, and he wasn't a sinner by birth. 
That's why his blood atones for this problem we have in the world known as sin. You know, when we talk about sin, some people think, yeah, I know what sin is, serial killers, those who rape people, those who do brutal crimes, that's sin. But the average person doesn't believe they're a sinner, especially if they're middle class and decent. They take the approach that Marilyn Monroe once did. She kind of viewed herself like this, and I think a lot of people view themselves like she uh, viewed herself. She once said this, she said, I'm good, but not an angel. I do sin, but I'm not the devil. I'm just a small girl in a big world trying to find someone to love. How sweet. And that's kind of how we come across. But we need our sin to be dealt with. And everyone is a sinner. None of us is excused, sorry to say. In fact, Robert Frost, the poet, put it like this. He said, if one by one we counted people out, in other words, out of our circle of friendship, uh, for the least sin, it wouldn't take us long to get so we had no one left to live with. For to be social is to be forgiving. In other words, everyone's got weaknesses and sins, and if you counted them out, there'd be no one to relate to. So that's why Jesus came on Good Friday to deal with the evil called sin that permeates the human race. Now, people define sin differently today. You know, I, I heard someone recently saying it's a real sin if you don't recycle. Someone else says it's a real sin if you drive a car that increases greenhouse emissions. So people have a very strange idea of what sin is. But the Bible uses five words to describe sin. And I want to describe them today on Good Friday so we realize the extent of what Jesus did by his sacrifice. He didn't just come to teach. He came to give his blood to cleanse us from these descriptions. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two words. One of them is transgression. We find it in Isaiah 53. It means to cross the line, to go beyond a boundary, limit, or law. That's to go through a red robot to go over the speed limit, that, that, that you can classify as sin. But in God's law, to cross those boundaries means to transgress. Then there's another word called iniquity. That's a different word for sin, and it means crookedness, perverseness, evil. In other words, we don't just break the law. We are lawless. We are inherently evil. Then there's some interesting Greek words that describe the same word sin, in the New Testament, S-I-N, but the Greek expands it. And one of the words is called hamartia in the Greek. It means to miss the mark, like when you're shooting an arrow, you don't hit the target. You can aim for what God wants, but you can never hit it to fall short of a requirement. Then there's the word paraptoma. Paraptoma means to fall down when you should have stood up. In other words, the inability to be upright is paraptoma. And then the last one in the New Testament is the word adikia, which means wickedness or evil, again, that inherent. So we don't just do sin. Man is a sinner. It's not what he does. It's actually what we are. We are sinners. That's why we need Jesus Christ to free us from sin. Augustine described sin like this. He said, sin is believing the lie that you're self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained. So not only do you fall short of what God requires, but you live completely independently of him, like he's not necessary and he doesn't exist. John MacArthur put it like this, and this is probably a very sound definition. He says, sin is any personal lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God. It doesn't measure up to who God is. 
and it doesn't meet God's requirements. That's why Jesus came to die. Now, you know, when you think of sin, people say, well, you know, it's the environment you grow up in, especially in our country with the poverty and so on. That's what causes sin. No, let me, let me explain it to you like this. Sin comes from inside because we're born sinners. No one's born good. Children aren't born good. They're born sinners. And unless you acknowledge you're a sinner, you'll never need Jesus. That's why I'm continually hopping on this topic because the remedy is meaningless unless you know the problem. You know, many of us have bitten into an apple and found a worm in it. Well, how did the worm get into the apple? Did the worm burrow from the outside and then leave no trace? No, the way the worm got into the apple was insects come along and they lay their eggs inside an apple blossom. Then as the apple grows, the worm hatches from the inside and it begins to eat its way out from the inside out. And that's what sin is like. It's in us from Adam. And as we live our lives, it starts to manifest itself in our hearts, then in our thoughts, and then it comes out of our mouths, out of our behavior, and it literally leaves holes in our lives. That's why we need a savior, because we're not inherently good. To go and sit in the wilderness in a certain posture and eat certain foods is not going to cure sin. Sin cost Jesus his life on Good Friday. In Romans chapter 5, to pick up this theme again now, we see where sin has come from, but here's the cure. And it says in Romans 5.19, For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. Adam had no choice in it. He fell into sin and he made that wrong decision. But Jesus came along and he obeyed God and he lived a righteous life and he poured out his blood. And through him now, that one man, our destiny is changed if we receive him. Now, why did Jesus not just come and say, well, here I am. Look at me, listen to me, and then I'm going again. Why did he have to die? Where does this whole concept of blood come from? Why blood? Well, you'll look at many religions in the world. They're all about behavior and ritual and ceremony and laws and requirements. And then the hope that you'll connect with God and you'll be one with God. You know, if you sit in a certain position, maybe. No, no, no. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can take sin away and make us one with God. The book of Ephesians describes us like this. In Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us about our present condition. It says we are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us due to the hardening of our hearts. Techniques won't save you. Blood will save you. And, and, and let me say this, sin is sometimes hard to define because people dress up and we all look so nice and we behave so decently. We've got a certain cultural code. But sin's results in the Garden of Eden are still the same today. There's guilt. Adam and Eve experienced guilt. They experienced shame. They tried to put on fig leaves. They left. They ended up in creation, sweating under pain, working, working. Labor became difficult. There was guilt. There was separation from God. All these things, sorrow, and ultimately death came. And that's why Jesus came to bring all those things to an end. And as a result of his blood, those things come to an end. But today, people still arrogantly ask, oh, well, you know, what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that? The, often the reason we, we excuse sin is because we don't always see the results of sin immediately. 
Adam and Eve were told the day that they eat, they would surely die. But Adam lived to some 900 and something years. So you see, we kind of, well, he didn't die. Well, he eventually died. He would have lived forever. But he died. And because we don't see the results of sin immediately, let's not be fooled that they don't exist. Let me remind you, many years ago, in all our homes, our roofs and our heaters and various other parts of our homes were made of asbestos. And it was considered a very valuable and very helpful substance. Until 30 years later, the symptoms of asbestos poisoning began to show up. People started realizing, hang on, if you breathe in these particles, they actually cause lung infections and they can actually cause you to die. But it took 30 years for it to show up. And they say in America, some half a million people will still die from asbestos poisoning. You see, because sin doesn't show immediately, doesn't mean it's not real and that we should ignore it and kind of go about with a laissez-faire attitude and say, well, oh, well, you know, it's all just talk. No, Jesus had to die for sin and his blood had to be shed. Now, I want to focus for a moment on the blood. Where does this come from? Right in the beginning with Noah. When Noah came out of the ark, the Lord immediately said, don't eat food or meat with blood still in it because the life is in the blood. And so we discovered that when Jesus poured out his blood, a life was given for a life. In fact, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, do you know what actually happened? The Lord didn't just say, okay, I'm driving you out. He took a life of an animal and blood was shed and the life of the animal was given for Adam and Eve. Now, as we go on through the Old Testament, we see that when the people of Israel were going to be released and they were going to be uh, made God's people and taken on a journey, they were told to take a lamb and to put the blood on the doorposts in Exodus chapter 12. And the Lord says there, when I see the blood of the lamb, you need to take a lamb without spot or defect. It needs to be from the, amongst the herd. And that's what Jesus was. He was from, from amongst humanity but he was without spot or blemish, and you were to take the lamb, you were to kill the lamb, you were to put the blood on your house. Then he says, when the angel of death comes, and I visit judgment on the Egyptians, I will see the blood, he says, and I will pass over you. And the blood was the thing that protected Israel. It was the thing that kept them from being judged. Once the Lord took them out of Egypt and he took them into the wilderness, blood sacrifice continued. And we notice now in the book of Exodus that blood plays a role. The high priests bring blood to the altars and they present the blood for the atonement of sin. The Lord said to them, you need to take animals and you need to kill them and that blood needs to be put on the altar and I will overlook for a year the sins of the people. This, the judgment was delayed, but it was never never removed. They only got delayed judgment. They never got deliverance because it was the blood of animals. And so we see how blood plays this whole role. Jesus appears now and he begins to teach. However, during his time of his ministry, we see a picture of the blood emerging. He heals 10 lepers. There they are covered with leprosy and he touches them and they're healed. And the Bible always pictures leprosy as sin, something that gets into you and eats away at you and makes you a person that no one wants to be around. And uh, lepers were sent out of the city. And the picture now is of what Jesus would do. He would touch the sinner, that person infected with sin, and he would atone for them. He did it in his life, but he would ultimately do it in his death. You know, blood is incredibly important in the Bible. 
some 700 times blood is mentioned. So it's not surprising that it would culminate in the blood of Jesus. Just take for a moment today, think about your body, our physical body, the blood that's in our body, the red blood cells, pretty amazing. They carry uh, oxygen to our lungs and, uh, and then they take carbon dioxide and they carry it away. Amazing how the blood performs that life-giving function. And then the white blood cells, the white blood cells work with proteins called antibodies and they travel in our blood and they protect us against disease. Your blood is the thing actually that's protecting you from getting sickness and disease and your blood is actually keeping you alive, keeping your body working. The blood is absolutely amazing and there's a spiritual parallel to what Jesus did and I'm going to look at it in just a moment but let's talk a little bit more about blood the platelets in your blood when you cut yourself and you get damaged those platelets come and they form with little other bodies they crack kind of like a net and they seal up those blood vessels where you've been damaged until your body heals on the outside and that's what your blood actually does. Your blood is incredibly powerful. There are hormones in your blood called insulin that come from your pancreas. There are growth hormones from your brain. They travel through your body. Your blood actually takes the heat away from your liver and it sends it to the extremities of your body, making sure that your whole body is kept warm and that your heart and your liver don't overheat. So the blood plays an incredible part. And if you don't get blood to a certain part of your body, that part of your body will die. So, in the spiritual, it's exactly the same. Jesus' blood gives life. It cleanses. It brings warmth and it brings health. And wherever his blood goes, life comes into your spiritual life. So today, let's look at what this one man's blood did. Quickly, seven things on Good Friday that the blood of Jesus did. Number one, the blood of Jesus forgives. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Not through our behavior, the forgiveness of sins. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? It's just as if we'd never sinned. But here's the thing. Jesus shed his blood. You've got to make it your own through faith, and through a verbal commitment of making Christ your Lord and Savior. The second thing the blood of Jesus, of this one man, this one man did, is the blood heals. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Any part of your body that is cut off from blood dies, and you can be sure that you can live and you can be healed because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for you on the cross of Calvary. Number three, the blood of Christ purifies. That one man's blood, only one individual who could die for us, whose blood was pure enough, that blood purifies. And just like with the human body, your blood purifies. It takes carbon dioxide out of your body. It's amazing here when we read in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess, there's a condition, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Wonderful thing. But then it says, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, in the book of Hebrews, we read about this purification. It says, how much more is accomplished 
by the blood of Christ. In other words, how much more than animals? Then it says, through the eternal spirit, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to God. His blood will purify our consciences from useless rituals so that we may serve the living God. He takes away the guilt of sin. He takes away the results of sin. He takes away the, the plaguing of that guilt which haunts people, causes them to even commit suicide. Jesus' blood is so wonderful. It forgives it heals, it purifies. Number four, the blood is precious and powerful. You know, if you think of a person's blood in their body, 4.7 liters, and they say on the cross, Jesus shed about two liters. So here's this one sinless God-man, and just two liters of his blood are poured out down his body onto the road and at the foot of the cross. But millions, millions are cleansed, forgiven, and purified. How precious is that, that, that two, those two liters? Amazing. Every drop has got incredible value. And that's why Peter says, you weren't saved with silver and gold. He says this. He says that you were saved with the precious, precious blood of Jesus. Watch. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. How wonderful. And you know, we forget how precious the blood of Jesus actually is. It's like your health. When you are sick, that's when you realize how precious your health is. When you are hungry, that's when you realize how precious food is. Man, you're so glad for a piece of bread. But when you come to realize your sin, that's when you realize, man, the blood of Jesus Christ is incredibly precious. Just two liters has saved the entire world. In Acts chapter 20, Paul describes it again, and he says to the elders, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Jesus bought millions of lives by shedding his blood, and our people belong to him. How precious and how powerful is the blood. Number five, the fifth thing on Good Friday about the blood of this one man is the blood gives us peace with God. What does that mean? Peace. Is it talking about peace in your heart? Well, you do get that, but it's meaning peace between us and God. We're no longer at war with God because of the blood of Jesus. When you're estranged from God, you're at enmity with him. There's hostility. But Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul says this. He says he made peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, peace between us and God was brought about because sin was removed. Whenever there's sin in a relationship between two people, they say there's something between us. And, and people walk around with negative looks on their faces and that attitude because there's something. Well, there was something between us and God. And Jesus made peace by removing our sin. Now we can stand before God, even when we failed, even when we've sinned, and there's forgiveness, but there's also, there's wonderful peace. The barrier of hostility has been removed. You see what's actually happened here, if we think for a moment, is Adam gave us his sinful blood. We come from that bloodline. But when Christ comes into your life, you get like a blood transfusion. You belong to another family. You become a son and a daughter of the living God. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful thing the blood of Jesus does. Can you see how our sin has ruined us? but how the blood has saved us. I think it's so marvelous what the blood of Jesus has done. Notice here in Strong's Concordance, 
what it says has happened to the believer. It says Christ and the believer have the same life. They are not separate persons, linked together by some temporary bond of friendship. They are united by a tie as close and inseparable as if the same blood ran through their veins. What a description. We've been given peace with God. We've become one with him and we now belong to one family. Number six, the sixth thing today of this one man's blood is this. The blood brings us to God's presence. You know, God's presence is a wonderful thing. You get brought right up to this holy God where you can ask for whatever you need and you can enjoy a relationship with him. You can't get that through eating food or exercising or going to a health spa or sitting in a certain position. You get it through the blood of Jesus only, the one man's blood. And I want to read to you what it says in Ephesians. It describes it. Ephesians 2 and verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hebrews goes on to say this, Hebrews chapter 10, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we can come right to God's throne. He says, by a new and living way, speaking of Jesus, he then says, let us draw near to God. We can come right up to this holy God, enjoy his presence, and we can make our requests known and we can have fellowship because we belong to the same family because his blood has brought us peace. Wow, amazing things the blood has done to unite us with God, to forgive us, to purify us, and to change us and to give us peace. And it's so precious, but the last one is most important today. On Good Friday, this is what the blood of the one man Jesus accomplished. The blood overcomes the devil. Do you know that the devil has power over us through sin? When we fail, he points out our mistake. Either we can then listen to him and try and cover it up and pretend there's no such thing as sin and try and harden our hearts and say, I won't let guilt get the better of me. Or we can succumb to sin and live in condemnation. So, oh, I mean, I'm useless. I'm no good. I'm worthless. Look at my life. I'm a mess. I keep messing up. No, once you know Jesus and his blood has been applied to your life, because you're forgiven, because you're healed, because you're purified, because you're one with God, because you've had a blood transfusion, you just look up and you say, it doesn't matter. His blood covers me. I'm forgiven. I'm loved by God. No longer does the devil have power over me because I belong to somebody else. And I know I'm a sinner, but the blood of the one man has changed everything. Notice in the book of Revelation, we read about the, uh, the church and the people of God. And it says in Revelation chapter 12, and I'm using the message paraphrase, it says they defeated him, speaking of the devil, through the blood of the lamb. And then it says this, and the bold word of their witness. In other words, Jesus' blood was what they said has cleansed them, but then they testified to it. They declared, hey, I'm not just a sinner. I'm a forgiven sinner by the blood of that one man. And so today, as we celebrate Good Friday, everything was once good. Adam messed it all up. We've all ended up with sin, but thank God for the one man, the power of the one man's blood that has now purified us. The thing is, 
When Jesus hung on the cross, you know, he said something significant in John's gospel. Probably the most significant thing of all, as I come to a close today, he said this, it is finished. In other words, my death on the cross, my bloodshed on this Good Friday is all you need. Believe in me and receive it and your life can change. You don't need religion. You don't need some ritual. We have discipleship. We attend church. We worship. We're to live and to grow in Christ. But that's not what makes us right with God. What makes us right with God is the unique blood that Christ shed that we now believe in and receive. And we say, Lord, be my Lord and Savior today. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 